Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. This will be our last class before we're going to take a four-week break, holiday break next week, then I'm in Israel for two weeks, and then I don't think I want to teach the day I come back from Israel because I won't be prepared. Um, what we're going to do today, we're going to recap and just add a little bit on our class to our class last week on Ma'os Tour, and then we're sort of going to go over the whole everything we've started since April um, before we launch into our new section on God willing January 23rd in the secular calendar. Sorry, it's such a long break. Um, I hesitate to go back to Mao's tour. There is a saying in, in rabbinic literature, Avar, Avar's Mano Batel Korbano. If the time passed, you can't offer the sacrifice anymore. It means if there's a sacrifice that's in the temple that's dedicated and has to be given at a particular time, you know, once that time has elapsed, you can't get credit for that sacrifice anymore. So why are we going to talk about, uh, uh, Mao's tour? several days after um, Hanukkah has ended, when no doubt interest in that has waned. Um, but there's a couple of more things that I would like to show you that I have added to the source sheet that was uh, attached to last week's um, that are interesting. So we're, even though Hanukkah is over, they're inter- it's, in my humble opinion, it's interesting. And so I think it's worth taking a look at it. Okay. Um, so we said last, but I'll try to be brief about it so that we can just go on to our big, big picture summary. I said last week, Ma'osur, just a quick recap for those who might not have been here. If you weren't, you can go and listen to that class. It's at the, at the Temple Betham list of podcasts. We said that Ma'osur has six verses. Verse one says, God, you our, you are our stronghold and protector. The next verse two, three, four, five are about four different persecutions, Egypt, Babylonia, Persia, the, the Purim story and the Greeks. And then there's a sixth chapter, which a sixth verse stanza, which might be original to Ma'osur, might not be original to Ma'osur. There's debate about it that basically says, and so God looks to the future. Please save us from our cur- current persecution time which is under the um uh, essentially medieval christianity a coded reference to christianity um so what we looked at last week and now i'm going to screen and now i'm going to screen share i'm going to recap the changes we looked at last week okay uh and add to them so first we looked at the emendation by rabbi hertz Thank you very much, Larry, for uh, contributing some of Rabbi Hertz's history that I never knew about, his time in South Africa. Very interesting. Um, so, because I just think of him as, you know, the Hertz Humash guy. Okay. Um, probably most of us think of him that way. So thanks to adding to our knowledge. So Hertz has changed from Le'et Tachin Matbeach, I'm screen sharing now, to Le'et Tashbit Matbeach, which means so it totally turns to the opposite meaning. It means God. When are you going to prepare a slaughter of our enemies? Hertz changed to Tashbit, 
which means, God, when will you put an end to the slaughter by our enemies, meaning they're the slaughtering ones, not you're going to come and slaughter them, vitzar hamnabeach, not mitzar. So when will you end the slaughter and the howling foe? And then I will offer sacrifices. And then we saw the reconstructionist added to that, le'etashbit batbeach, vit change it to vitzar tishakeach, and cause the enemy to be forgotten. Okay? Not just, not just end, but just cause the enemy to be like a, a distant faded memory. So we looked at that last week. Then we looked at Vered Noam's new verse for at the bottom of page five for 2023 about Hamas. Um, so what I'm bringing you now new this week is another new verse about Hamas. This one is appeared in Israel um, and it's anonymous. So I uh, it, it may it's possible that it's not anonymous, that someone knows where it's from. But in the source where I found that it, it was on kind of a poster um, and it was anonymous. Um, another version about Hamas. The scanning doesn't work perfectly. I'll sing. Kamula or Hamas Right? The people of Hamas. Again, remember Hamas is the name of an organization, but it's also a pun because the word means violence, right? So the people of Hamas rose to kill us on the day of Simchat Torah. Chevel Akmara, a portion of our land became laid waste, and our heart cried out bitterly. The nation unified together in might to beat back the wicked enemy, wreath them with victory, establish security, we're saying in command form to God, and restore to your nation um, glory and honor or something like that, pride and glory. So that's a different version. Again, we talked last week at some length about um, liturgy evolving, adapting. So that's a different version of a verse um, written just this year in response to the um, Hamas attack. Uh, to end on a positive note, um, floating around on the internet on, on one of my listservs, Rabbi's um, Truah, which used to be called Rabbis for Human Rights in North America, now called Trua, um, was a, a, a different version written by Rabbi David Foreman, who's a Masorti rabbi. He was in Israel for years, and now he's in Palm Springs. And I actually wrote to him. He said, I wrote this back in the 90s, and um, I might rewrite it today if I was writing it from scratch, but I thought I would share it. So I asked him, I corresponded with him. I said, can I share this with my group and on the source sheet? And he said, yes, you can. So um, his version, which I would say is, you know, optimistic. This is on page four. And the translation is his. A blessing in my joy, in my heart that I send to you, God. Meaning nothing about the temple. You open my, you illuminate my eyes or open my eyes. I trust in you. That today, 
just like yesterday in the past, your uh, candles will shine. Okay, so just like, so there's no temple here, all right, at all. We'll come to the temple, we'll sing songs, uh, we'll, we'll prepare the Mizbeach. So all of that is gone in Rabbi Foreman's version, and it's all about uh, illumination, uh, God's illumination of the candles, and as uh, seen, you know, as sort of symbolic illumination, enlightening, um, br- bringing us joy and gladness. Um, and there's a reference to the past, okay? But it's it's without the persecutions. Then he does have a verse about the, uh, he has three verses. Second verse he has about the Greeks. Nes gadol hayahapo naim and uh I like this line zarata you got rid of the darkness and you sowed s o w e d um a great light okay and then verse three is about the ingathering of the exiles to Israel shanim rabot galubanim many years were the children in exile spread out among the nations. They come from the four corners gathered from the whole world. It's a time of time of resuscitation for the believers. And in this great time, time, um, take your treasured nation out of where they are, meaning the diaspora, and from he- heaven on high, um, establish peace and bring geula shalema, as we say in Ashkenazic, full redemption. So he ends. Uh, I'm going to stop screen sharing. Was I screen sharing? Javi, you were not screen sharing. I wish someone would have told me that. Okay. All right. I wasn't screen sharing. Sorry. It was, that was all a waste. Um, I thought I was. Now you are. Yeah. Now I stopped. I wish someone, how come no one told me that? All right. Um, you got to stop me guys. All right. I'm doing something wrong technically. So basically he ends on a similar kind of um, I have to, I can't see you all. Now I'm not screen sharing, correct? I can't see you all. You still are. I still am. Thank you. There we go. Um, so he ends like the traditional Ma'osur does on a positive, uh, sorry, on a note looking towards the future asking for redemption, but rather than the traditional Ma'osur, which says, you know, we're suffering under medieval Christianity. Please kill the bad guys. It's more bring peace, shalom, and geulah. All right. So um, this is the more, I would say, you know, uh, op- I'm going to call it an optimistic, universalistic, uh, you know, light used as a metaphor, um, not talking about battle, not talking about victory, but talking about peace. Right. So it's a way of, I'm going to say, de- militarizing Ma'oz Tzur, which ends on a very militaristic note. So we've seen really the changes, you know, the the more contemporary changes, two radically different Rabbi Foreman's thing from the 90s about peace and redemption and light, and then 
this year's edition, two versions of it from Israel, all about Hamas. All right. And, and give victory. And the victory we're talking about is not metaphoric. It's concrete. So we just see different ways, different generations, um, react to this. I think it's possible because Ma'ozur is so, um, semi universal in the Jewish world, again, except for Yemenites. Um, and everyone knows it and everyone knows the melody and it's kind of an earworm and everyone has the tune stuck in their head. So it's a really easy way to learn new liturgy because everyone knows the melody. Everyone sings it eight nights of Hanukkah. And so I think that's what lends itself to that. I suspect if you wrote, I don't know, a new version of El Adon for Shabbat morning, it wouldn't catch on quite as catchy as these things are. Okay, I'm going to pause because uh, I want to finish with Ma'osur, but Larry has a hand up. Larry Diane. Yeah, it's me. Um, uh, one reason was to tell you weren't screen sharing, but don't don't raise uh, your hand for that, man. You got to shout it out. Okay. Rabbi Foreman, is that the rabbi who was who at Tekoa? At where? Tekoa. No, am I, no, I don't. That's Rabbi Froman, F-R-O-M-A-N. No, this is a Masur T guy. Yeah. And quick, Made Aliyah for decades, and now he's back in America. Go ahead. Just a quick question about Shilson versus Edmol. Anything? No, it just means, I think it, it rhymes. Shilson usually in contemporary Hebrew means day before yesterday, right? Yeah, it, but it means the past. Okay. It means the past, and I think it's used because it rhymes. Okay. Yeah. I can't remember what the word is. Maybe it was shalom or something, whatever. It's, it's, you know, as with many things in Piyut, it is selected because it is rhyming, right? It's poetry and it's got to work. And so that's, that, that's why I don't believe it means like it wasn't so good yesterday, but it was good two days ago. And we want to go back to it. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's the poetry. I can't remember what it is now. Something, uh-huh, demo, she'll show them. I'm going to look at which one was that is. Which one was that in? The, 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 Shigam Hayom Kimo Shilshon. So please today, just like two days ago, which I think here just meant to mean in yesteryear. Okay. Okay. Done with Maosur. And I will tell you once again, Avario Mo Batel Corbano. I don't know why I'm talking about Maosur one week later with my own sense of, uh, <clears throat> Uh, obsessiveness, I felt like, oh, I got these other verses, so they have to see them, even though I'm sorry I didn't screen share and you didn't see them. They are, in fact, on the handout sheet, which was handed out, attached to last week's class. So for any of the Hebrew fans, if you want to take a look at it, and Rabbi Foreman actually has a translation of his three verses. It's his own English translations, not mine. Okay. Questions about Ma'osur before we move on? Just want to review what we've been doing for low this, it started in April, so it's over half a year, although we do skip weeks. So what we've been talking about, and this is just review and summary, and if anyone has a question or comment, you should feel free. Um, what we've been doing for li- over half a year is in our class on understanding the history of Jewish theology, ideas about God, and working to construct our own personal ideas about God um, as I think they inevitably impact on what we believe, think, and feel while we are davening. 
I know not for everyone. Some people say, nah, I never think about the words. I just show up and I answer Amen and I like the melodies and I'm used to doing it. So I suppose there are definitely some people who never think about the words uh, and have no questions about them. Tavo Alecha that's great. Um, but for many of us, we read the words of the Sidur and we try to, you know, make sense of it for ourselves. How do we understand God? So in seeking to work this out, what we looked at for over half a year was ideas about God in the Bible. We looked at different, I'm going to call them strands of ideas within the Bible, um, sometimes clearly written by different people like, you know, Psalms or um, the prophets. Um, and I think it's possible to appreciate this even for people uh, who believe that the Torah is unitary and written by God rather than um, a compilation written by humans. Um, there are certainly contemporary Orthodox thinkers um, who say, yeah, the Torah is written by God and is unitary, but it has intentionally different strands, strands, S-T-R-A-N-D-S, different strands of ideas in it woven together. Um, I think of in, in particular Rabbi Mordechai Breuer of Israel, who said, yeah, God wrote a bumpy textured Torah on purpose because life is textured and full of contradictions and challenges. And that's why God intentionally wrote a Torah full of contradictions and challenges and parallelisms and bumpy texture to give us opportunities to learn and think. So I think even if you have a traditional belief in the divinity and unity of the Torah, it is possible to appreciate that there are different strands of ideas within the text which express or articulate in this particular case of what we've been talking about, different thoughts about how God is manifest in the world, right? God is that which we, which is, as Maimonides teaches, is fundamentally unlike anything else in our experience. And thus, it would be impossible to say God is exactly like X because there is no X in the universe that is like God. And so we talk about God by providing various approximations from our experience and our limited human understanding to try to describe that which is indescribable. The fancy word is ineffable, um, which I think means ungraspable. Um, so we looked at one strand of the Torah where God sometimes seems to take a humanoid physical form that appears to people, which is called a malach, what we translate as an angel, but when men, in many of these passages seems to mean a physical representation of God, because we looked at various passages where people see the malach, the malach talks to them, the malach says, I am commanding you, meaning the malach speaks in God's voice um, in the first person, and then the malach disappears and the people only afterwards have what the Bible scholar James Kuhl calls the moment of confusion, where they say, oh, my goodness, that wasn't a human. That was God. OK, so God as manifesting in an apparently I'll, I'll be theologically delicate. I will say 
an apparently physical manifestation. To people, it looks like a human, but it's actually an appearance of God. Um, we're pretty much done with Brayshit, but we'll be coming up to Shemot soon. So please read carefully when we get to Exodus chapter 3, the revelation of God to Moses from the bush. So I urge you to read very carefully and say to yourself, who is speaking and what are they saying? That's a very good example about the, is it a malach or is it God or are they the same thing? All right. So ask us to consider that the Bible has an idea, one layer of ideas, one strand that God can manifest to us in the world in a way that appears to us what we would call concrete and real and physical. It's one strand. The strand very often associated with parts of the Torah that are about priestly concerns, the concerns of the Kohanim, seems to express an idea that God may have a physical presence on earth, but it's not any old place hither and thither, hither and yon. It's actually in one place, and that place is, toss up question, where is that place? The Holy of Holies? The Holy of Holies, the temple. This is God's house. God has a throne room. God sits on, is Yoshev Hakruvim, the one who is enthroned upon the cherubs. The ark is God's footstool. God comes down from heaven in fire surrounded by cloud. The Mishkan, the tabernacle is built and God goes to inhabit it, right? So this is, and, and then there's an echo of that. Uh, later when the temple is built, when God's cloud comes into the temple in Jerusalem. So God is localized. God can be found more here and not there. And here is in the temple. Okay, so the priestly consciousness is that God has a location. God's presence can be experienced more in one place than in another place. Um, to us moderns who say, oh, God is everywhere, God is everywhere, I will still say to you, oh, isn't it possible in that in your life you have been somewhere, very concrete place, where you said, I experience God's presence more here than randomly out there. Okay, I'll let that, we, and we talked about that at some length. And that that representation of, of God shorthand is called God's kavod which seems to be the word in the on the priestly text for God's presence. It means kind of God's self. Okay. Then we had, in contrast to that, the view in the book, largely in the book of Deuteronomy, that God is not here. God is very far. God is up there. Uh, I have to let someone in, sorry. God is up there. Up there is the Shamayim. We wouldn't agree with that concretely anymore because we know about, you know, space and the earth is a ball and all that stuff. They didn't know about that. So I'm not sure what we would say up there is in modern parlance, but it's very much out there. Okay. Um, and God came down to earth and gave us divarim, words, teaching, and then went back to there. God is way out there. God hears our prayers. Okay. And uh, in the book of Kings, when Solomon builds the temple, it tells us, this is where Deuteronomy and, and, and Kings is a little bit different. 
Um, Deuteronomy, Devarim says, God hears you from the heavens and the book of Kings and the dedication of Solomon's temple is a little more explicit. It says, you direct your prayers towards this house, you people, the temple. God, sitting up in the Shamayim in the heavens, looks down on this house. You know, God is not scanning the whole planet for prayers. God is in particular, has a hotline to, you know, the red emergency phone to the Beit HaMikdash in Jerusalem. So you all direct your temple, your prayers here to the temple and God is up there and listening. The temple is kind of a transducer. So the temple is still important, but God is out there. Okay. And Deuteronomy says very clear, a different strand of thinking. Deuteronomy says, and that might not be Deuteronomy. It might be the book of Kings. That's the book of Kings says there is nothing in the ark except the tablets of the covenant, right? Which means it's not a footstool. It's not a throne. God's kavod does not live there. Okay. What is there is the teaching, the instruction. God came down. God gave us the instructions. That's what we have of God. God, in fact, is very, God's actual presence is very remote. What we have is a record of God's teaching. That's what we have down here. Okay. It's a little bit like Avarabah. You loved us, so you gave us the Torah. And so we're connected to Torah. And, and like Avarabah and the first paragraph of the Shema, right? We're connected to the Torah and we love you. How do we demonstrate that we love you, that we're loyal to you by studying and doing and talking about the Torah, meaning our connection to you, God, is through the teaching that you gave us. It's through the words, right? Not through worship of any physical thing. Okay. All right. Um, I'm just thinking back. And then, and then we talked about, oh, oh, and then we talked about, um, God is manifest in history. Okay. God is an actor in history, sometimes depicted quite concretely, like in the Song of the Sea. Hashem Ishmil Chama, Hashem Shemo. God is a mighty warrior, right? The image of God appearing at the sea, God fighting with us, God defending the, and this is sometimes the Lord of hosts. God joins from the heavens with the heavenly array to fight against our enemies. So we talked about God's presence in history. That one, I don't have to prove to you that, that that's a strand in the Sidur. That's kind of a no brainer, right? The whole bracha, um, both Az Yashir and the whole third bracha of the Shema service, everything after Hashem Eloichem Emet before the Amida is all about that. God's actual presence in actual history, not God is inspiring us, you know, airy fairy inspiration, but actually, no, no, no. God fights on the side of the righteous. That was the fourth strand we looked at. Then we looked at two strands, not from the Torah. I think I finished the Torah, not from the Torah of God as personality. We talked about the prophets who saw that God has a personality and that personality is in relationship with the people Israel and that personality, like a human personality, experiences joy when we do good and anger when we do bad. And we read at length some passages from Heschel uh, that explaining how God has emotions, but God's emotions are different than human emotions. I think his word, you know, I don't know what he's translating 
from his mind in Yiddish, but you know what humans experience is passions and it is out of their control and it's a human failing. Whereas what God manifests, I don't want to say experiences, what God manifests are feelings that God chooses and God chooses to demonstrate those feelings to us because God is in relationship with us. God gets angry because God cares. If God didn't care, God wouldn't get angry. If God weren't angry, it would mean God doesn't care what humans do. God doesn't care if we're good or bad. Okay? So anger is kind of instrumental and educational. Whereas the joy is if we, if we keep the stuff. And of course, the prophets that were preserved, the literary prophets, we, we all know there's a little bit of joy and there's a lot of anger because what the prophets do and part of why they were preserved is they do the finger wagging about you're not doing righteously. Um, and they prophesy destruction, and then the destruction came, and so people said, I guess they were right, and they preserved the words of those prophets, and the words of the prophets who said, don't worry, things are fine, it's going to be okay, because we know there were prophets like that. No one preserved their words, so we don't have those books of prophets. Um, the rejoicing that we have in our literary prophets is in the future time, when you do tshuva, then God will rejoice. Right. God, it's not rejoicing. It's really about love. God loves you. So I take it back. It wasn't really about God's joy is about God's love. So the prophets talk about God's love for us, God's or God's anger towards us as two very strong feelings. But all of these feelings are directed to us as a nation and not you and me as individuals. The people who talk about God's relationship to you and me as individuals are is the psalmist. King David or the psalmists, the people who wrote the psalms, where we saw, as opposed to the prophets, which talks about God's feeling in the relationship towards us as a people. In the psalms, we read about our feeling, my, it's really not our, my feeling in relationship to God. God, you have abandoned me. God, when are you going to save me? God, you did save me. God, thank you for saving me. God, you know, when things were good, I forgot about you and I didn't realize that you're really in charge. But when you hid your face from me, I was terrified. Thank you, God, for saving me. I'm going to come to the temple and sing your praises and offer sacrifices and publicly declare all the good things you've done, you've done for me. So we, we saw in the various Psalms, all of these personal dramas of the individual's relationship to God, where the individual feels in a one-on-one way connected to God, which can either be God, why are you doing this to me? Surely all of us, no matter how rational, I'm guessing all of us might have felt that at one point or another in our life. Okay. God, why are you doing this to me? Or God, thank you that you have done this for me. Okay. By the way, Gomel, when people come up and bench Gomel, the prayer that they say after, you know, they've escaped risk, you know, after a car accident or an operation or something. Most of our prayers are in the plural, right? This is, we acknowledge you, God, who does good acts for those who don't deserve them. You have done everything good that has been done, you have done for me. It's in the singular. Even lines in the Bible that are in the singular, like Jeremiah says, 
the prophet Jeremiah says, Rifa'eni Hashem ve'erafe, heal me, O God, and I will be healed. And the group mind that wrote the Sidur makes it plural, Rifa'enu Hashem ve'erafe, heal us, O God, and we will be healed. Right? So even things that are originally in the Sidur, in singular, in general, in our communal prayers, are translated into the plural. Okay? And this is one that is a prayer that is in the singular. God, you did this. Person does not get up in front of God in shul and say, God does great things for all of us. Okay? It's the equivalent, by the way, of going to the temple and offering a Thanksgiving sacrifice. It's the Sidur's equivalent. You come before the community publicly and you say, God did this amazing thing for me. Right? Very personal. And this is really an echo of um, the psalmist's idea, I think, that we are in personal relationship to God, okay? We react not by saying, whew, I missed that car accident. I walked away from that car accident. I wasn't hurt. And I was lucky. We don't say I was lucky, okay? Which would have the deity God in charge of us. God is the is the Middle Eastern deity of luck. It's like Fortuna, uh, the Roman goddess. Um, and God, the Gad, G-A-D, the son of Jake, is probably named for that deity. Um, but rather, we say, God did a beneficent thing for me, even though, and God does beneficent things for people, even though they don't deserve it. Okay, so that's the personal relationship to God. So we saw in prophets and in Psalms that God, different than far away or a man of war, that God is actually in relationship with us, is in relationship with human beings. What we're going to do when we resume, January 23rd or whatever date I said, um, is we will start looking at ideas about God in rabbinic literature, okay? The sages, that means the rabbis of the Mishnah and Talmud and Midrash, mostly Midrash. So we're going to look at rabbinic literature, and then we'll look at medieval, both philosophical and Kabbalistic, and then we'll get to modern. So I don't know, that whole thing is going to take probably another year. I'm not quite sure. Okay. And the purpose of all this was to look at how there are in our literatures, in our past Jewish thought, different strands of different ideas about how God is present in the world and in our lives and to contemplate how those different ideas have filtered into the Sidur, okay, and how how they're incorporated into the Sidur and how we um, experience them, how we receive them, experience them, and relate to them. And if you look carefully, all we talked about this at length when we went through all those classes, all of those strands are in the Sidur somewhere, in our daily weekday morning Sidur. Okay, I'm going to pause. I said a lot of words. Pause for a few minutes for thoughts questions, comments, all of this was review. And if you just tuned in today and you don't know what I'm talking about, then listen, uh, during the four-week break, you have nothing to do. Listen to all the podcasts from the last week of April 2023 up until now. And it's all there in much greater detail, along with source sheets. Diane Larry. Just a thought. You maybe want to retitle this class something about... Jewish literature or the canon or something, since it's gone way beyond being a Sidur class. Well, it's the history of Jewish theology, but Jewish theology right. is 
it's, you know, we don't have tape recordings of music from 2,500 years ago. All we have are words written down. So that's what we're looking at. Yes. We're looking, but, but, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to do all of Jewish literature. We're not going to do. Obviously, but you're, you, okay. I mean, in order yeah. just to maybe bring other people in. Okay. All right. Okay. Diane wants me to market, bring other people in. All right. I'll try. <laughs> okay. Other people thoughts. We covered a lot today from Hamas to bring illumination to the history of ideas about God, uh, in biblical times. And again, I want to say one more time, we make assumptions that ancient people were somehow dumber than us. They weren't any dumber than us. And just as we in our lives, different people with different personalities and different moments of our life experience God differently and think about God differently, sometimes it's, God, why are you so far away? Sometimes it's, of course, God is far away. God gave us the Torah, and what we're supposed to do is study and do the Torah. We're not supposed to think we're supposed to have personal contact with God, or uh, oh my, oh my God, lowercase g, that person <clears throat> was a messenger <clears throat> from God, or you know, the holy place has control of access to God. I I, I can't find God on the out on the street. God is at the hotel. God is not, you know, at the intersection of the street um, or any of these ideas. I think we all different personalities. And, it, uh, you know, I don't I don't believe I don't believe most of us because we're humans is how we think. I don't believe most of us have a unified field theory about God. Most of us are not philosophers that philosophers would mean. In your mind, everything would agree and be coherent. I don't believe people actually function that way. I think we all have bits and pieces and fragments that we incorporate um, and that we experience at different times. And surely the psalmist who said, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Didn't necessarily feel abandoned by God every second of his life. He felt abandoned by God at some some moments of his life. And we feel God looked out for me at some moments of our life. And we feel we have no access to God other than through the teachings of wisdom at other moments in our life. And we feel that God is present somewhere in this holy place in a different way than other non-sacred places at other moments in our life. So I dare say that I think most of us have experienced you know, all these kaleidoscope of thoughts and feelings. And my point is just, it's all there. The roots of all of that are there. Um, in this particular case, in our Tanakh, in our ancient Bible, because I think they, people back then, 2,500 to 3,500 years ago, they experienced God in just as complex a human way as we do, as we do with their varieties of personalities, with their different moments in their lives. So I think uh, it's a fallacy to think, you know, like, oh, we're the modern skeptical people who have to think about, you know, what is God in the world and how is God. But back there, you know, everyone every, everyone was a straight believer. They all believe the same thing. I, I just don't think that's true. I think humans are humans. They were, they're humans now. They were humans then. I think that's my closing line. Humans now, 
they were humans then also. And that is why we study the record, Diane. We study the literary record of their thoughts so that we can, uh, you know, st- stand on the shoulders of giants. And if we're, if we're, if possible, try to peer a little, either a little bit further or a little bit more personally the way we want to peer. But, um, we're always standing on, on the shoulders of people who came before us. Pray for peace in 2024. That's all I can say. And, uh, I'll see you, God willing, in four weeks. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.